What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The following program contains coarse language and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. American planet Earth. Welcome to Friday. Pour yourself a tall one, put the kids to bed, and let those titties out because you have just tuned into the hottest live podcast south of the Mississippi. The podcast your mother warned you about. It's He Said, She Said. I'm your charming yet emotionally unavailable host, Mickey Blowtorch. And joined with me tonight is my most wonderful and sweet friend and sweeter co host. She owns more wood putty than a normal person should. It's Aggie Reekin, and we are coming at you live from Ronald Reagan's favorite Hooters parking lot. Hello, Aggie. Hiya, hiya. How are you? <laughs> I am okay. <laughs> it is good to be on the air. I haven't done a show with you in almost all month, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to. You had a lot of stuff going on. Oh. My I mean, God. I I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> I was privy to a lot of it, you guys, but <laughs> I couldn't divulge because, you know, um, things were on the down low. But now Mickey's here and he's going to share with us his uh, all the Mickey shit that he's been doing. <laughs> all of the, the Mickey shit that I've been doing. It's funny that the year that I quit drinking is when everything just gets crazy. It, you would think that you know, the years where I was partying my balls off would be the more more rowdier years. But no, the, the one year that, that I'm, I'm living like a, a priest, it, everything just gets unhinged and, and fucking nuts. It's been, I don't want to say the word hilarious because it really hasn't. But it's kind of been hilarious. Just a wee bit. <laughs> We will be getting to a lot of that this evening on mm-hmm. the Mickey Blowtorch expose. It's been a, there, I, I don't even know where to start. So let's start with uh, you. What have you been up to? How was your Christmas? We haven't, we didn't do a show all December since I was busy. We did do the, uh, our uh, Christmas production together, of course, last yes, Friday. Yes. Which that was, was a lot of fun. Fantastic. It was. It was such a joy to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, my Christmas was was pretty good. It was pretty sedate. Um, I, uh, you know, I 
I did the whole cooking for everybody. I did the whole, uh, you know, get up and do the big breakfast. Get, you know, and then after uh-huh. clearing breakfast, you start doing the whole um, dinner, the Christmas dinner and everything. I roasted two ducks um, for uh, Christmas. And, and yeah, a lot of people are like, but shouldn't you be having like ham or prime rib? And I was like, yeah, I, I, I get that tradition, but... You know, I got to go with what people want to eat. And everybody was asking for duck. They always ask for duck for some reason. <laughs> so I need to try your that. duck. It's, you know, a lot of people think that it's very difficult to make and that it can turn out rubbery and all that stuff. But it there's just a really simple trick. And all you have to do is score the skin. Once you do that, the rest is like a piece of cake. A piece of cake. A piece of cake. But um, for I hear that they're very verbally abusive while they're cooking. They can be. <laughs> Not as bad as geese, though. Geese. <laughs> I have to say, those, those motherfuckers are, are mean. <laughs> very mean and hurtful. Oh, speaking of ducks, I woke up this morning and there were 30 of them in my lake. Oh, my goodness. How, how big is your lake? Uh, it's only about six acres. But um, there the were lake? 30 ducks. Uh-huh. The lake it, itself the, is about The six entire acres. lake is on your property, right? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. Okay, it, Yellowstone. It's, it's actually a privately owned lake. So You own the whole lake, though? Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's all mine. Can all you, mine. So six <laughs> acres, so you could boat through that pretty well, right? Uh-huh. Is, yeah. is it big enough for uh, water it's, skiing? It's no. A, I'm not sure how deep it is, but I know that we're going to get a boat for it. I just haven't, you know, we just haven't gotten around to doing it because we had some, you know, stuff to do for the guest house and get stuff fixed up and of course because we live so far out in the country the septic uh systems have to be had to be updated you know so there was a lot of stuff that we had to do so we haven't done much to provide for enjoyment of the lake but that's scheduled for spring so <laughs> yeah yeah so I, by the I time you guys get there to, to, like, uh, to visit they'll be they'll be you know I want to have a little area out there with like a fire pit by, right by the lake and, you know, a little paddle boat that people can use to go around the lake, you know, that kind of do, stuff. Do you guys get loons out there? Or are we too far south for loons? I don't get any loons. I have a grebe that loves my lake and he is the only grebe that I have here. and He's very territorial. So he was quite pissed to have a bunch of ducks land here and and just decide to like Ducks is like the, the Sturgis bikers of the waterfowl world. Yes. And so um, <laughs> uh, I haven't had any Canada geese yet. and But I, I do have a pair of herons, a breeding pair of herons that that are very ter- territorial about the lake, too. Wow. And um, we get a lot of, you know, falcons here, the the usual ravens, the usual crows, the usual grackles. Um, and I was so heartbroken. I was, I, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was like vacuuming or something. And all of a sudden I hear this thud on the oh, window. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to look and it was so unfortunate. It was a cedar waxwing and it did not make it. And I was like heartbroken because I love cedar waxwings. They're such beautiful birds. But apparently, I think it was chasing some, uh, like a, a a moth or something, and it just <laughs> did not see the window and hit the window and died. So that was some Top Gun shit. 
Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, the, you haven't seen Top Gun, so my references are wasted. No, I know that part because everybody has talked about the way Goose dies. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, that was like the heartbreaking thing that happened this week, as far as the flora and fauna of the area is concerned. That that is that is pretty sad. <laughs> it was. It was. But you know, we get deer. We get. Uh, uh, feral hogs every so often too, mm-hmm. and coyotes. They come onto the property. Didn't, didn't the Mister get a hog not too long ago? Uh, let's see. Uh, my friend Erath uh, over on Twitter, he snagged a hog last year and a doe this year. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he came up here to to do some hunting and snagged the doe, and he was quite happy. Took it back, had it processed, and everything. Well, no, we we process it here, but he's he's like, I got meat for the year i'm happy <laughs> so, so he was thrilled about that i would i would die for some backstrap uh, or kill for some backstrap yeah. because goonies never say die goonies never say die <laughs> but it has been it has been a really like <laughs> Let's just say it's been interesting so far this this month. <laughs> Although not as interesting as you. Well, and it's just like my level of interesting is <laughs> completely different. Like a um, uh, dear friend of mine is um, finding his writing is coming back to him. So he's been writing a lot. And so uh, I have had a... I, I, I'm not kidding when I say this. For the past 20 odd years, I've had a sentence in my head, just one sentence that I wanted to use in a short story. I finally wrote the short story. I finally figured out how to work this one sentence into a short story. It's not even the beginning. It's not even the first sentence. <laughs> I just I had to formulate the entire story around you, this one sentence. You just wrote an entire story based on one sentence recently? Yes, yes. I do that a lot. I, uh, I, I I subscribe to the Isaac Dennison School of Writing. And for those of you out there who don't know Isaac Dennison, if y'all recall the movie Out of Africa that came out back in 1985, that's what it's about. So uh, Isaac Dennison was a, one of the most gifted writers uh, of, the, um, of our time. And I fell in love with everything that she wrote, including Out of Africa. Uh, she was also, her her true name was Karen, uh, Baroness Karen von Blixen. And so um, she lived in Africa for a time. And I fell in love with that movie. And that's what inspired me to actually write. And I just mm. I just write for fun. I don't have, I've published a couple of things in like college and everything, but I just write for fun. And once I'm done writing, I normally just throw everything away. I have bins of <laughs> notebooks of short stories and just random stuff that I write and it just stays in a bin until I decide, ah, eh, okay, time to toss it all out. I just throw it away. I'm weird that way. I I am very fascinated by that. It's very interesting. Well it's sad that your short short stories go somewhere to die though. Well, I'm right I'm not uh, I don't <laughs> think I'm a gifted writer. I just write. And sometimes they make sense and sometimes they don't make sense. So I've, I've never actually. Don't, don't sell yourself short because 
<laughs> Twilight fan fiction ended up selling millions and millions and millions of copies. Oh, well, that's true. But, you know, like um, our our beloved friend, Janie Mack, she's a great writer. And um, Mark. Mark. Typely, yeah. yeah. He's a great writer, too. Um, there's, you know, there's so many people on on Twitter that we actually interact with that actually are published and are very good yeah, writers delaying. and everything. And yeah, and, and and so when it comes to mine, it's just stuff that I just it just flows out. And I'll write it down and then I'll put it away or eventually throw it out and everything. There was one one story though, I did manage to publish in a blog a long time ago. It was it was Guar Erotica. No. <laughs> No, it was a, it was it was a short story that was inspired by a real life event, and I remember, and, and it happened to me. I remember being. It's okay. So I was in pain, and I had to go get seen and I'm waiting there and this place is just completely white. It's completely sterile. I am petrified and everything. And I ended by saying the dentist will see you now. Uh. <laughs> but the whole buildup, it was so dystopic. You know, it was like a dystopia. Yeah. It was like this. It was just horrific. I was building this thing up. And the very last line is the nurse opening the door and saying, OK, the dentist will see you now because I had a cavity. <laughs> That's very witty. But, you know, it, 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 it actually got published um, when I was at, at A&M. And I got second place out of it, actually, if I recall correctly. And I was like, really? I didn't think it was that great. And my, my ex-boyfriend actually ended up getting his master's at Texas A&M. And he was an English, uh, for English, and he was an, uh, an English, uh, I guess, TA. So he was teaching a couple of English classes, and he used it as one of his and everybody's like, wow, that is such a cool story. And I'm like, dude, why are you showing that story? It is just, it's silly. It's, it's, he says, no, it's really good. And so he actually decided to put one of his stories that he had written when we were in high school. And he passed it around to everybody and says, okay, now critique this, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm there like, sort of like taking the class, but not really. And Everybody's like, well, this wasn't really written very well, blah, blah, blah. And he, they're, they're criticized. They're like taking it all apart. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, it says, I wrote that in high school. And everybody's like, oh, shit, we're all going to flunk now. But no, it was just <laughs> it was an exercise, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and I liked his story. So but for me, you know, like I said, I will read anything. It can be Dime Store, Harlequin Romance or War and Peace. I will read it all. I I so enjoy reading. I have, I mean, seriously, you can walk into my house. There's going to be a book or two in every room, face down or with a bookmark in it. Because <laughs> I just leave them everywhere and I'll pick it up and I'll start reading again. I absolutely love books. I um, really would like to get back into reading. I've, I've kind of backburnered that. And I, the sad part about it is I need to make myself sit down and do it. But when I do do it, I enjoy it immensely. So I, I feel like it's kind of something that I really love that I've 
let myself become a little uh, detached from. You know, it's so much easier just to sit down and get on the phone and start fucking around on Twitter or watching TV or just even going to sleep and taking a nap instead of reading. And yeah, I really miss that in my life. I think it's uh, enriching in ways that you just can't get out of phones and and all of the hu- busy hustle bustle of no, it's true. All of, you know, whenever I sit down to write, I don't actually sit down on my laptop and type it. I get a notebook and I write in cursive. And I actually, (laughs) I I took the card to get inspected. (laughs) And I took out the notebook and I, I started writing. And I was writing and there was a young woman sitting next to me and she said she, she was curious. And she asked me if that was shorthand. I said, no, it's, it's cursive. They don't teach cursive anymore. They really don't. I thought that was a joke, but they don't teach cursive in school anymore. That's crazy. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was really, really, it was surreal to me. But I've always felt that, it, you know, putting pen to paper. And the thing is, and you'll make a, the thing is, I want to see my mistakes. And I go back and I reread. And see if I skip the, you know, because sometimes I'm thinking too fast as I write. And sometimes I'll skip, I'll skip a word. So I insert it like that, you know, the old fashioned way. And um, I, you know, I try doing it. I have a, a, a writing blog that's I keep private because it's just for me to write. It's not for, you know, people to read or anything. And I tried doing it there. And I found that doing it there. I was correcting myself so much that the story was getting lost. But if I just write it in cursive on a piece of paper, it just, it, it stays, you know, and I, I like it more that way. But, I, you know, and, and you guys know me, I'm June Cleaver. I'm very old fashioned, so I'm going to do everything by longhand. <laughs> Did you have a diary when you were a girl? Nope. You didn't? Really? That's I never had college. a diary. I never had a journal. So that's something you've never had a connection to then. Just your every day going in there and writing your feelings. No, I I never did that. You know why? Because I have three other sisters and there was no place in my house that I could keep this from the. And (laughs) I had a a very Hispanic mother and I couldn't keep it away from her either. So what was the point? What was the point of keeping something, you know, um, and of course, and it's worse now because you have. Facebook, you know, twenty years ago, oh my God, you're reading my diary, and now it's like, oh my God, you didn't read my status. Seriously, everybody puts everything out there on social media, and it's, I, it's shocking to me how some things that I would consider to be extremely private things are still posted on media for everybody to read. It's just, it blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the some of the things that folks put out there, I mean, to each their own, I guess. But I certainly wouldn't get as personal as some. No, I I mean I I understand the the light flirtations. I get I get all of that, you know, and everything. But I mean, some people are very. Uh, one of my girlfriends is. I mean, she uses Facebook as therapy. It's like a diary and therapy. You know, and she puts out all of her, you know, she's she she does have ADHD. She um, is Asperger's um, and all that. And she puts it 
all out there to read. And after a while, you're like, I understand that you're putting this out there, but I'm not sure if you want it out there because you're seeking help or because you're seeking sympathy, you know, and it's a very, very fine line for some people. It really is. And, um, but you know, she is a friend and, and I reached out to her privately. And so now she reaches out to me and she asks me for help. She asks what she should do. She asks, is, is this a good, um, venue for me to take, you know, should I, you know, do this, that, that, you know, instead of just putting it out there and, you know, having people just wonder, you know, why, why are you even doing that? So it, it, you know, social media has become like therapy. It really has, you know, a lot of people put things out there and to our credit, you know, sometimes humanity is great and we reach out and we start helping people when we see that they are hurting and they are not, you know, doing well or whatever. But you can put yourself in a position where other people who take joy in destroying others will come after you. That's why I, I'm, I'm still private about anything that's going on in oh. my life. You know? oh, definitely. And <laughs> we save it for the podcast. For the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, even then I, I, I try to tell the stories as, as sanitized as I can. Of course, you know, I'll never be able to come out from the Mickey Blowtorch persona, really. And, you know, just, but that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And I prefer that, really. I, I like my anonymity, whatever the fuck. Anonymity. I'm an anonymity. <laughs> you know, I used to I used to have a hard time saying aluminum and cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon, aluminum, aluminum, aluminum. It, it, <laughs> you know what's funny? And I would say over the last eight months or so, I've been having a difficult time, like I guess, fully enunciating any mm-hmm. word that has like a C I O U S ending, like delicious. It sounds to oh. me like it's falling flat when I say it. And I, I can't really explain it. But uh I, I think it might be part of the whole COVID thing. I Oh yeah. I've had a, a really big issue with my vocabulary after having COVID. I ended up getting that long COVID, I'm guessing. It lasted forever. And I really didn't get all that sick, but it did have a lot of lasting side effects. And my vocabulary has been one of them. Yeah, I really struggle to find you know, I I used to be really good at it. It, it finding just delicious little words to use, you know what I mean, when you're talking in everyday context. And now I, I find myself just struggling for the right words to use to where I don't sound like a Neanderthal or, you know, some idiot. So it, it's been kind of hard to get used to, to be honest with you. It, it you know, I, I always um, had a really good memory and after having COVID my memory has lapsed a little I've I have forgotten certain things and I've had to remind myself of certain things and it, it you know just small things and everything but um I have had issues uh with my memory because of COVID and um thankfully not as bad as some other people have but it is kind of concerning because my entire family 
pretty much relies on my oral history to remember everything that's happened. And now I'm like, maybe I've forgotten some things that are very important. And that's one of the reasons why I started picking up my writing again. Um, I have been writing every, you know, whenever I talk to my dad, I will actually have a notebook next to me. And as he's telling me his stories and stuff, I will copy them down. And I have been doing that. And I've done it with my mom. With my mom, I really should have shorthand because she talks so quickly. <laughs> but I have been doing it because I'm, I don't want to miss it. And I don't, I don't want people to forget it. And I don't want to forget it myself, you know? So. Speaking of all of that, I saw a commercial over the holidays for some kind of company that was offering a book. And I guess basically what it does is they send you like daily questions that you fill out and answer. Like, let's say you pick your dad is the subject of this book mm -hmm. and they'll send you these questions daily and you answer them. And I guess it just goes on for several months or whatever. And then they compile everything that they need and they put out a, like a unique book about the story of your dad, for instance. And it would have pictures and everything that, that they had tailored together from the little interview questions that you guys had had going on correspondence with for uh, the last couple months. And then um, it's, it sounded like it was kind of a neat idea, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I say to be honest with you a whole lot now. I don't know where that came from, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. COVID got me all fucked up. My, my, I, I still don't drink. It, it's going to be mm -hmm. a year. It'll be a year on the 1st that I got drunk last. So that's kind of I have, interesting. Uh, you know, at, amazingly enough, I'm considered the bar babe and everything, but it, COVID did kind of wreck my taste buds to a certain degree. So my drinking is very, very low. Um, I will still mix drinks and everything, uh, but I usually cut it down to like a quarter of whatever the, the, um, the recipe calls for. Uh -huh. And so... Um, you know, so I end up with like a shot and I'll taste it and I'll have somebody else taste it and see if, you know, if it works or everything. And then I'll, I'll post a recipe, you know, if, if it works, if it's really good or whatever. When, when Courtney was here, um, staying with me, uh, she actually noticed that I didn't drink as much, you know, I'm kind of like, I channel Foster Brooks more than anything. Uh -huh. Foster Brooks and Dean Martin, who were known as these raging drunks and yet they were they didn't drink. I don't know if anybody knows that, but Foster Brooks didn't drink. He just played a really good drunk. And and Dean Martin as well. Dean Martin didn't drink? No, he did not. Oh my goodness. No. He he actually did didn't drink as as much if if anything. If any. Uh, as I recall, but I know for a fact Foster Brooks did not, and yet he played the best drunk I ever saw on TV. I mean, he really was. He it, he was so good at it that a lot of people thought that he was literally drunk while he was, you know, doing the skit or whatever. But he never was. He didn't drink, and this is that's kind of like how I am. <laughs> you know, my persona <laughs> on that account is uh -huh. like. Woo, living it up and everything. Yeah, right now I'm drinking, you know, pineapple juice. <laughs> I'm having a nice orange tea. 
you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I usually reserve my drinking for the podcasts. So if I'm on the cocktail lounge, I will have a cocktail, but that cocktail will last me the entire time. <laughs> so, so for three hours, because, you know, I, I start like a half hour beforehand. Sometimes we run, we run, we, we tend to run long on the cocktail lounge because I talk a lot. Um, it, it'll last me the whole time. I mean, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm very, I'm a very slow drinker on top of that. <laughs> I can nurse a beer for six hours and have no problem with that. I remember <laughs> one time that I got like tall boys for a, he said, she said. You know, the, the gigantic 25-ounce cans of Bud Light. And I, for some reason, I, I timed them so that I was I, I have, like, one per segment. And I ended up just drunk off my ass by the end of the show. I didn't realize, <laughs> you know, that steadily drinking that much beer in the time frame of the show was going to intoxicate me so much. But, you know... Our early days, if he said, she said, well, I guess like the first two years of it, I I drank every show. Yeah, at, you, and at it least, was more than one. It was oh, more than one beer. <laughs> I, I would put away at least five beers a show. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but you don't you don't miss it, and no, I don't. You're fine. <laughs> now, admittedly, you made a whole brand with the whole Bud Light thing. That is the and, funny thing. And, it'll be forever associated with you. I know. And I don't have a problem with it. You know, I, I, I'm not, we're, we're, I'm, we're not parting on bad terms. <laughs> so, you know, we're still friends. We talk, uh, but I, you know, we just don't see each other anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Yeah. There was, um, I saw that, uh, one of, um, uh, one of the tweets was celebrating that she had not drunk for a whole year and she felt fine, you know, and that was, you know, that's so great when, when you can do that. And I remember G actually abstained from alcohol for about five years. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's like a, it's like a goal. Um, and it's not necessarily one because you have an addiction to alcohol, but one because you just but hey, you know what? Let's try life without it. And you go from there. And I, I do that every so often. Everybody knows me and the Lenten diet mm-hmm. where I give up everything that that is a joy in my life. <laughs> I end up losing like 10 or 12 pounds. But I really, I don't miss those things when I'm on the Lenten diet. And everybody says, how can you do it? How can you do this to yourself? And honestly... I do have an enormous amount of willpower. If I tell myself I'm not doing something, I will not do it. End of discussion. And my sisters hate me for it. They do. My, you know, number two has literally told me, I hate when you get on the Lenten diet because I know that you're, you're going to stick to it and I can't stick to a diet for more than three days. <laughs> well, if, if you were Catholic, maybe you would. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, you know, everybody does that, you know, were, everybody picks something to, you know, abstain from and, and uh, see if they can, if they have some chops to cut it. And it, it doesn't have to be anything big. I always picked sobriety. 
It's win-win. You win. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So so yeah, it was a we we've had a crazy crazy month. Um, yes. Last week, you we, more than me. I will add. It's been monumental. Mm-hmm. To include directing our third Kaler and Radio theatrical production. So, which was amaze balls. It was amaze balls. It turned out. <laughs> it always it always turns out nicer than I anticipate or imagine, and it it's always it always just surprises me in the most pleasant of ways. So last Friday we had our second annual Kaler and Christmas production, and this year's uh, Christmas story was uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," and it turned out fantastic. We we haven't talked since uh since the big night. Yeah, yeah, we haven't. But you know, I we did it. It was last Friday, and we did it right before Christmas, so it was perfect timing, in my opinion. And we played it all through Saturday, which was great. Uh, Jeff was such a trooper. He set it up to um, on Saturday. I believe he played all three of the productions, and then on. Sunday, it was just the Christmas ones, if I recall. Yeah, I believe so. And it, Yeah, and it was so much fun because while I was cooking everything, I had it running. And I, I mean, I was enjoying how, how much fun we had doing these productions. We, watching you guys so amped and pumped after the production just makes me beam with pride. Uh, you know, watching like the chat room chatter for our, our players after the after the show and just all of that good energy you know really made me happy this year and i guess that's that's what makes it all worth it for me all that cool energy that i'm able to put forward into the world like that through something fun and 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 you know art artful it, yeah and the fact that we can take liberties with it um i i i'm still cracking up over G and I coordinating our lines in, into Spanish, but needing to make sure that you all still understood the gist of it, even if you didn't understand the words, so that you can follow along. That was really cute and funny. And, you know, speaking of G, did he not knock that part out of the ballpark? I, you know, he had told me that his um, Jimmy Stewart was, you know, pretty good i did not know it was that good and then he hemmed it up on top of that i was just like holy crap it was hilarious and he kept it through the entire production it was amazing he did he didn't didn't uh, drop out of it and then he did the dick and cider commercial and the jimmy stewart <laughs> as well that was yeah the dick and cider <laughs> everybody did such a great job every you know and that was the that was the first leading role that G has had, so congratulations to G tackling yes. that. Yes, I was I was I was so elated. He was, um, and it was funny because um, he had expressed wanting to do Bob Cratchit with me, but we had already assigned, and Brad was Bob Cratchit, for, and I was Mrs. Cratchit. So when you were doing all of the um, 
when you were starting to assign roles and everything, I sent you a message and said, if you, if G becomes George, I have to be Mary. <laughs> that was the reason because he wanted to do the Spanish. I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm yeah, so glad he you wanted told to me. do the Spanish, and I was the only other person. It was hilarious. <laughs> we uh, we recorded the Dick and Cider commercial a day or two before the show, and then we did one take, and, and G did his, his commercial. And then he said something about, well, I was also thinking about doing it in the Jimmy Stewart voice, and I I was I said, go go ahead and just do it real quick for me. Let me hear it. And he did it, and I was like, fuck it, let's do the commercial like that. It was, and we redid the commercial, and he did it all in one take again with the Jimmy Stewart voice. That, that's fucking great. We're going to go with that. That's brilliant. And I knew I knew then after listening to him do that commercial that we were going to have a great a great show. He had year. he had a blast. And I, I, I mean, it, although it was kind of weird playing his wife when I considered G like my big bro <laughs> or little brother because right? he's younger. Close family. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, kind of weird. But, you know, I had I had the um, uh, the script out. And as people would come into the kitchen to listen again, the script was out there so they could follow along and everything. And they were they were just dying. They were dying at all of the improvisations that everybody did. It was so great. It, it really was. You know, like the John Katz's uh, redneck Uncle Billy. Oh, that was great. You know, Rick did a couple <laughs> gender bending parts. <laughs> It really, it was fun. Everybody just took it in in whatever direction they wanted to go with it. They did. And it was, it just, and everybody was clicking really nice. It was, it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. The more, the more we do, the more we click. So this is great. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Last year, Ordy was the, uh, the big role of, of Scrooge. He did very well in that. And he had just had like dental work done the same day or the day before, I think. Yeah. We've uh we've had some good times that in those three productions I those are doing something like that you know it, even though it's on such a minor scale it it's such a huge accomplishment when I step back and look at what we actually were able to accomplish together basically we made radio theater happen live on a conference call you know when you boil all of the fancy things that we do away from it all that's what happened. You know, that's hard enough to do live in a studio together, let alone, you know, coordinate blindly, you know, basically just on the phone with each other. Oh, that's very true. Um, I was afraid that I might mess up and, and everything. But considering all of the ad-libbing that we do, I it was it was hard to mess anything up. So, yeah, that's it the flowed beauty, really, it? really well. <laughs> and yes, true. Forty. No group rehearsal. None. None. Walk so, into it. We 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 do our technical notes thirty minutes beforehand, and then we jump into it. Yeah, it was uh, it was so grand. I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> I know we're gonna have to. We'll have to get another one on the burner. What did you think of the whole Vietnam montage? Oh my gosh! I let me tell you, I had to mute. I had to mute because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it was so unexpected. <laughs> and then I started, and, and then I, I grabbed my, um, uh, I, was, I had cream soda or something, and I started drinking, and then I hear Forrest Gump, and I <laughs> choked. I choked. I was like, oh, my God. 
incredible. You can't have Vietnam without Forrest Gump. No, no, you couldn't. So, and then the addition of Richard Nixon and oh, I was pissing my pants with Richard Nixon. I when I added him into the whole uh, track that I was cutting, it it was hilarious. It was beyond hilarious. So, <laughs> for the folks listening right now, during our our Christmas production of "It's a Wonderful Life," I took the directorial uh, creative license and and kind of shifted it from. World War Two to Vietnam, and that's where we had uh, kind of set it around and changed when I made Slager say the Tet Offensive and Fall of Saigon instead of VE Day and VJ Day and all of that. Yeah, you know, it played in so perfectly. But I yeah, put we... together this uh, this montage of all of these <laughs> Vietnam clips in the movie when they when they talk about his brother Harry getting the Medal of Honor and all that stuff. They put together a little World War Two montage. So that's where I actually got the uh, the idea yeah. for it. It, it. I just want to play it. You want to listen to it? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> have lost confidence in what their government has told them about our policy. Saigon. Shit. I'm still only in Saigon. That still makes me laugh so hard. It's it was glorious. It really was. It was so perfectly done for this production. I cannot even tell you. <laughs> Nixon just, oh my God, it's hilarious. And I love how I, I dragged it out on purpose. I'm like, let's just push it. You know, it, it, sometimes you take a little gag and you know, you're going to run at 45 seconds or whatever. I drug this out for two minutes and 10 seconds. It just kept on going and going. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was in tears by the time, you know, came to unmuting my 
microphone. <laughs> Lieutenant Dad, ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had a lot of fun on our production. I, I, it really was such a blast. Thank you guys so much for being a part of that. And I'm so glad that we all got to experience it together. And what a cool way was it to kick that Friday off into a Christmas weekend. It was, it was, it was, it was great. I, I cannot tell you. (laughs) So we are looking at 15 after the hour. We're going to go ahead and jump into a break here. But when we get back, we will go ahead and dive right into my engagement. I'm engaged now. What kind of bullshit is that? It is not bullshit. That's the point. Life comes at you fast. We'll be right back. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hi, I'm Mike, founder of DollarShaveClub.com. What is DollarShaveClub.com? Well, for a dollar a month, we send high-quality razors right to your door. Yeah, a dollar. Are the blades any good? No. Our blades are f***ing great. Each razor has stainless steel blades and aloe vera lubricating strip and a pivot head. It's so gentle a toddler could use it. And do you like spending $20 a month on brand name razors? 19 go to Roger Federer. I'm good at tennis. And do you think your razor needs a vibrating handle, a flashlight, a back scratcher, and 10 blades? Your handsome ass grandfather had one blade and polio. Looking good, pop up. Stop paying for shave tech you don't need. And stop forgetting to buy your blades every month. Alejandro and I are gonna ship them right to you. We're not just selling razors, we're also making new jobs. Alejandra, what were you doing last month? Not working. What are you doing now? Working. I'm no Vanderbilt, but this train makes hay. So stop forgetting to buy your blades every month and start deciding where you're going to stack all those dollar bills I'm saving you. We are DollarShaveClub.com, and the party is on. I know karate, I know jiu-jitsu, I drive like a gay, so when I'm coming to see you, see As a small business owner, you deserve more. More confidence, more connectivity, more of the tools that help your business thrive. 
And at Cox Business, you can expect more from us. We don't just have sales reps. We have perfect plan identifiers. People who will work with you to make sure your business gets everything it needs and nothing that it doesn't. Your business deserves more, and that's why you can expect more from Cox Business. Call 800-526-8572 to switch today. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 of pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-7602 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-7602 to take your call right now. Call 1-800-516-7602. That's 1-800-516-7602. Again, 1-800-516-7602. Not to be a backseat driver, but can you say for sure you got the best monthly payment possible on your auto loan? Could it be that you might have gotten a better deal by shopping the loan at a few places and have a lower car payment? Next time before you go car shopping, visit Communication Federal Credit Union first. Our auto loan experts will find you a perfect loan and get you the lowest monthly payment we can. Communication Federal, your auto loan experts. Restrictions apply. Federally insured by NCUA. The world has changed, and Microsoft Teams is there to help us stay connected. Teams is the safe and secure way to chat, meet, call, and collaborate. To learn more, visit Microsoft.com Teams. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to He Said, She Said with your host, Aggie Regan and Mickey Blowtorch on KLRNradio.com. And we are back from break. If you were just tuning in, you've tuned into He Said, She Said, the hottest live podcast south of the Mississippi. I am Mickey Blowtorch, and joined with me is my co-host, Aggie Rekin. Hello, Aggie. Welcome back. Hello, hello. I am so sleepy. <laughs> I usually eat dinner after the show. Today, I was extra, extraordinarily hungry. So I ate a big, huge, hearty pasta dinner before the show, thinking, oh, I'll eat and I'll do a quick show and then I'll go watch TV in bed or whatever. But no, that's not the case. I ate dinner and now I just want to fall asleep like the fat slob that ate dinner (laughs) at at 4.30. I'm exhausted. This is supposed to be an exciting show. 
and I'm sitting here with, with zero energy with the biggest L on my forehead. No, the, the, it's okay. It happens, especially when the pasta is that good. It's it's full. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, um over the uh Christmas break I got engaged to my girlfriend of several years. Woo! You know, I squealed. Did you? Uh yes, I did. You sent me you sent me the message. You sent me the pictures. I was screaming and squealing and I scared the dog. I usually do <laughs> when I do that. And I was, I mean, I was screaming so much. I was hurt. My throat was hurting for a while because I was so excited. I was so happy. Oh, <laughs> you guys, I was so happy. <laughs> You're pretty excited. I, I've been, I've been planning this for about a year and Finally, I everything just came together and went ahead and pulled the trigger on it. But you know, it, it had a lot of little tiny moving parts in the making. I had to uh, go talk to her dad and ask him for permission in Spanish. So, of carving course. out time for that was was fun. And of course, the day that I went to go drop in on him, he had COVID, and I didn't know he had COVID. So I'm sitting in there talking to him. He's not wanting to tell me that he's not feeling well. And it, that was just kind of a funny happenstance. Finding the engagement ring was just one of the most stressful things I've ever gone through in my life. And hope that's the last time I got to ever buy a ring. <laughs> why, why was it so stressful? Well, first of all, everything that is out there is absolutely hideous and gaudy. Yeah. And I like gaudy, I... but it's not a good gaudy. It's like a what the fuck is that gaudy? It, for some weird reason, um, the cocktail look, the cocktail ring look is now on Vogue. And I'm like, an engagement ring is not supposed to look like that. No, it's not supposed to look like a fucking disco ball. Yes. It's, it's supposed <laughs> to be you, nice, man. clean, white gold or gold. You know, you're, you have some very nice, beautiful, clean, sometimes swirly, even metal work. And then, and then a couple rocks, you know, big old fucking rock on the top, maybe a yeah. couple around it. You don't, you don't need the entire thing frosted like that. It's it a, was, it's been surprising to me because, you know, you see the, um, um, you see it on, on, um, commercials, you know, the, the, you know, the, you know, the rocks and everything and most of the time, they're nice, thin, delicate, classic, one stone, maybe three or whatever, or one stone surrounded by tiny little diamonds or whatever. But you walk into the store because that's what you saw on the commercial, mm -hmm. and you can't find it at the store. No. That's not what they have. They have disco balls. <laughs> Everything I looked at, I just I thought was hideous. I went to store after store after store, and... I, I had actually found something that I liked at Costco out of all places. And it fell... You're serious? Yeah. It fell way below budget, but it, it hit all of the check marks of what I was looking for. You know, it was a beautiful ring. It was um, a total carat, one carat total weight. You know, it wasn't anything cheap, but Costco had it. And so I had to go get a Costco membership. 
and that to get the to get the ring to get the ring and that ended up being a fucking ordeal so by the time i get the membership i went through this deal where the guy upsold me on all of this shit and then at the very end of it they didn't accept the credit card that i had apparently costco you can only use whatever visa or some shit and i had mastercard so i was just like furious about all of that and i eventually go and get the costco card online and then I go in and get my ID and all that bullshit. And finally, um, I go to the jewelry counter because I was going to go buy that ring. It was really beautiful. And I, I ended up, you know, just getting my heart set on it because I couldn't find anything out there. And, and of course, you know, the price coming in well under budget, too. Hey, that was a big thing, right? Because let's be honest, this shit's not cheap. No. You know, so if I could save save quite a bit there, you know, I could just turn around and put that into the wedding probably you know that was my line of thinking and and still have this this gorgeous gorgeous ring so anyway long story short they had misinformed me when i at first inquired about it saying that they could size it they don't size it uh their website didn't have any alternate sizes that i could get for it either so i wasted my money and, and time getting a membership and i couldn't get the ring that i originally liked so i had to go back to square one and I had to go to all of the different jewelry stores looking for one all over again. And finally, at Hellsburg, I found the one that I had bought for for a lot more money than I anticipated on spending. <laughs> but <laughs> I was at the, at the point that I finally saw it, and I was like, I don't fucking care. It's sold. <laughs> Buying it. I'm so sick of looking for rings because everything was just so disgusting. You know, I, I really am a traditionalist at heart, I suppose. And I, I like the classic look. I like old world, you know, architecture, old world craftsmanship, all that old world shit. I don't I don't like this modern. I think the woman told me that uh, vintage was what they were calling it. It didn't look vintage to me. It looked like shit. So that was my wonderful uh, adventure of engagement rings. Which I, I absolutely know nothing about diamonds and shit. <laughs> well, I happen to know a little, so. Uh, but, you know, Helpsburg, you know, they carry really good quality stuff, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the choice. They seem. It, it's not like you went to some guy standing in the street with a trench coat, you know? <laughs> I almost <laughs> went that route, and I found this little <laughs> shop that uh had just opened up and the guy came out not looking at all what you would expect a jeweler to look like and he was like yeah we could we could order that for you (laughs) (laughs) uh you know it's really funny when my sister was getting married um the number three um she and i went looking uh because her soon-to-be husband was unfortunately deployed so he told her this is what i want you to get just let me know where you find it and then i'll i'll order it so i went with her and everything she couldn't find anything that even remotely resembled what he wanted her to get so my dad his uh, the guy that was the microbiologist in the lab where my dad worked uh, when they closed down the microbiology department, he decided to open up a jewelry store. And his wife was uh, 
she was a diamond dealer. Okay. Uh, before they came to the States, they were, they were from India. And, um, so she got her certification again and everything. And so she was a diamond grader and all that stuff. And so I said, why don't we try their, their jewelry store? She's like, I don't even know where their jewelry store is. Now, everybody knows you know, when you walk into a jewelry, most jewelry stores are in malls. They're not really freestanding or anything unless they're independent little places. This jewelry store was in a little strip mall and you actually had to go through where, you know, the, the area where the uh, tax office is or the offices for the strip mall are. You had to go through there to another door. It didn't even have a sign. Okay. But that was their jewelry store. And my sister told Dr. Jane what she was looking for. It's like, oh, we can do that for you. And she got it at cost. And it was the, one of the most gorgeous rings I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's like, if you didn't know, you would think that this place was like, a wannabe pawn shop it aspired to be a pawn shop you know because it was like so far removed or everything but it's just that that's the way they did business they wanted something that was more secure mm -hmm. and everything not showy and they really had a very small clientele when they first started out but it was very exclusive clientele and i did not know how exclusive it was until i saw our representative for that district our congressman uh -huh. walk in and place an order and then just walk out. <laughs> it's like, whoa. That, that's kind of the little same vibe that I got from the place that I went to. A little tiny pawn shop seems, you know, um, same vibe. Dude with long hair wearing all kinds of crazy mm -hmm. rings and, you know, you just don't, it, pawn shop people, not jewelry people. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I went back to the Jane's uh, place and everything. I mean, the, this this guy decided to invest in real estate, and his real estate was mostly strip malls. And he he died a billionaire <laughs> in <laughs> in in South Texas. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> He's a what? It's like, oh yeah, but most of the money doesn't. He didn't keep most of the money. A lot of the stuff that he did with his money, you know what he did? He founded a church there for the Hindu population uh -huh. because there was no temple for them. And he founded a, um, an orphanage back in India. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, you know, for him, that was an extremely important way to give back to the community. He really was a wonderful man. Uh, he's very much missed in our family, but you know, we, any kind of jewelry situation that, that we have, we go there first. <laughs> and it's funny because um, his wife, you know, I'll just describe something very nebulously and she will, right there, she will sketch it out for me and it'll be exactly what I want. It, she has never failed me. That and it is doesn't, awesome. And it doesn't have to be gold. She can work in silver. She can work in anything, you know, in any, any medium or whatever. And she, and for her, this is like, it's, not just her hobby, but it used to be, you know. So for her, it's fun. It, she does not work a day in her life, she tells me. So well, I still have to get yeah. the wedding bands. Yeah, I should. I should hide with you and go down there, <laughs> so you can <laughs> you can order them there. <laughs> Make the intro. the uh, The actual engagement itself turned out very well. 
I had uh, tried to think of a cool way to do it for the longest time. I was, you know, of course, I thought of all the usual suspects, like a baseball game. That would have been obnoxious and funny, you know, doing the whole jumbotron. Lovely baby, you know, and then do the little kiss thing and and all that. That would have been pretty funny. But what I ended up doing was I got us tickets to uh, a Van Gogh exhibit, an immersive Van Gogh exhibit. Which basically, um, you you walk through these series of panels where you kind of read a little bit of history and some excerpt from letters, uh, life and history of Van Gogh. And then you end up in a room the size of kind of like a gymnasium that's got a couple of center columns. And it's got all of these precision projectors all over the floor, all over the wall, and all over the columns. So 100% of this room that you're in is covered, sands the ceiling. So it projects all of the the artwork onto the walls, and it's actually kind of a, a video of sorts. It's got the moving art. You can see like kind of almost a 3D feeling, like you're actually standing there in the paintings themselves. And it was actually a emotionally overwhelming when we first got in there just being surrounded by all this beautiful scenery inside of a van gogh painting Uh, i think uh when we first walked in it was all the cherry blossoms and it was just beautiful i I couldn't really articulate and express how beautiful it was seeing it that way i guess you know it's a lot different than just staring at a piece of art that's hanging on a wall Right. When you're immersed, quote unquote, into Mm -hmm. it, you know, like you're standing right there, standing right there next to the right next to the vase with the sunflowers, you know, all that stuff. You were inside of it and it was just so neat. They had wonderful inspirational music playing. It it was done very well. Uh, If you ever get a chance to go to it, you need to go check it out. I think you out of all people would absolutely adore it. I would. I would. I would. Totally, totally do this thing. And you know what? I'd probably spend the entire day open until it shut down. We didn't want to leave. I I stayed through almost two full loops of the the same thing. The thing is with me, I mean, it's like um, I'm, I'm not the best Catholic, but I am a very devout person. So when I describe something in this manner, it means a lot. But when I go to a museum, it feels like I'm in a church. And it's not because I feel the presence of God there. That's not what I mean. Though I feel the presence of God everywhere I go, that's neither here nor there. But when I go into a museum and there is a work of art that somebody poured their soul into to express something and to motivate another feeling from the viewer, that is very humbling you know and I I say this as someone who does appreciate modern art as well but there is a line no there is (laughs) you know there is a huge line that I will I will never acknowledge as art um let's not even get into the whole banana tape to the wall thing because that'll (laughs) just drive me (laughs) ape shit the money Um, somebody paid for that too yes and the thing is, you don't even pay for the banana stuck to... No, you pay for the instructions on how to... And what the banana has to look like, what type of 
duct tape how to cut the duct tape and where exactly to put it on the wall. What a waste that's of what money. You're, that's what you're paying $150,000 for, instructions. It is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. I absolutely That was just some it. asshole flexing. <laughs> well, Yelp is 150 away well, on the, this. The thing is, he's being sued. The banana guy or the guy who bought it? Uh, the guy who made it is oh. being sued because 20 years ago, a guy actually made the same thing with a banana and with an orange oh. using duct tape. And he brought it to people's attention. And now people are thinking, oh, he plagiarized it. So the original artist, and I say that with scare quotes, is suing the, uh, the Italian artist for um, in- infringement. And it just so, so happens to be the Isaac Hayes estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, it's just, uh, you know, so, some, some people would consider that art. I consider it ridiculous. But there is art out there that is modern and it's beautiful and interpretive and, you know, it does speak to other people. And to be able to stand in front of a painting that was done by so, a man so tortured uh, in his life who wanted to express the beauty that was around him is very humbling. It really it, is. Um, I find I, Van Gogh to be so absolutely haunting of an individual. Yeah, and you know, and he wasn't the only one that suffered for his art. He's just one of the best known um, that did. Um, but you know, I, I, I do that every time I go to a museum. I, I actually, you know, Andy Warhol will be hanging on the wall, and I will just stare at it. And yes, I know it's a it's a tomato soup can. I get it, or cream of celery, or whatever it was that he was painting that time. But the fact that he actually decided to mock um, consumerism in this manner, it actually it does speak to me in a way, you know. And 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 everybody has seen. The Marilyn Monroe silk screens that he did, and and if you see Picasso, Picasso was just uh, as much as I loathed him as a person. <laughs> his artistry was incredible. He never quit moving forward. He would he founded so many different types of art that I I just I can't even enumerate them. Um, he and and it was the fact that he went through all of these periods of mood swings and depression and all that stuff. And it would incentivize him to do something new, you know, cubism, the blue period, the red period, the op art period, this, that, the other thing. He really, really did so many things. And, you know, one of the things that is for me, you know, going to see Marie Therese, who was his, um, his lover for a time and seeing the paintings that were inspired by her love for Picasso and you see that reflection and know that and she was she was very tortured as well and because you couldn't live with this man and not be tortured he was I'm I'm not even I'm not even kidding when I say he was a horrible human being <laughs> he really was <laughs> But, you know, that's that's what I mean when I go to a museum and it feels like a church because you are standing in front of 
a work of art that was expressly painted to bring forth emotions from the viewer, you know? And, and so to me, it's just such a wonderful experience to go to a museum, to an art museum, you know? Sure. And, you know, and honestly, I think the things that are just beautiful command a certain reverence. You know, they deserve that awe and silence and, and, and respect that, that we give to them when we're looking upon them and then, and, and absorbing what they are. You know, you can even put that into nature, like the Grand Canyon, you know, all, all of those monumental experiences that we, we have where we, we see just immensely beautiful things. It, it really does deserve that, that reverence. But, um, you know, the, the exhibit was absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, I'm sure it was. I, I found a spot that, that wasn't too crowded and, and let her get a few steps ahead of me. And then I, I got down on one knee and did that whole thing. And I pulled the ring out and I <laughs> called her name and she turned around. <laughs> she thought that I was joking. Are you kidding? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's never going to happen. Get up. <laughs> and, ah, the joke's on her. <laughs> yeah, she realized I wasn't joking. And I, to, to be honest with you, I've, I haven't seen her this happy in a long time. She just absolutely elated. And I couldn't be happier too. So never thought that I would be going down that road again. It would, will be my second marriage. And, um, so I guess I was a little slow to move on that and hesitant, but you know, whatever it all worked out in the end. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. (laughs) We're looking at probably a 2023, 2024 wedding, depending on how fast all the details work themselves out and whatever's going to, uh, transpire. Keep your fingers crossed for me, though, because I would love a Vegas wedding. I think that that would be the coolest thing Mickey Blowtorch could do to get married I'm not, in Vegas. I'm not going to assume anything, but I'm kind of hoping I get an invite. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> no, no. I, I only say that because, you know, we're online friends and everything. And sometimes weddings should be for, you know, real life friends and family, something that's more intimate and everything. You don't want to invite every Yahoo, you know, on Twitter. <laughs> and I am a Yahoo. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if it, if you do manage to get it in Vegas, man, I would be a fly on a wall. I would totally book a ticket. <laughs> Could you imagine a Mickey Blowtorch Vegas wedding? <laughs> All I can think of is honeymoon in Vegas and the flying Elvises. That would be awesome. <laughs> You being one of them. <laughs> Hopefully the Elvis embargo is over with and they are back to marrying people in the Elvis regalia. I hope so too. That was that was one of the charming things about Las Vegas. I mean, that was the the White Chapel, the little white chapel mm-hmm. was That's where uh, I want to go. I, yeah, it was iconic. I mean, that's just I I think I I really hope I really hope you can get away with it. I, I want to get a cheetah print tuxedo. Jacket at least. Black pants probably. <laughs> and, and have her dress up like a showgirl. In satin. <laughs> it would be awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I not going to lie. She could kill that. I mean, she's she's got the... She's statuesque. She's very pretty. She's got the legs. Yeah, she does <laughs> have the legs. legs. <laughs> <laughs> 
remember when you used to post those pictures. Oh, the, the shower the pictures. Shower and, and you're and playing the saxophone or, or whatever. Or, or eating <laughs> fried <minute>. chicken. <laughs> yeah, eating chicken. No, those were always funny. <laughs> I forgot all about those. But I, 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 I hope that you can. And, and if she says, no, I want a real serious wedding and whatever, that's fine too. And you can yeah, well, actually talk her into doing a second wedding in Vegas, you know. As a lark. I mean, I know people have done that, too. Well, it, we'll eventually probably renew vows there, I would assume. But, uh, would you know, it's going to be her first <laughs> wedding. So it's going to, you know, whatever she wants, she'll get. It'll work out, though. I'm not going to even start stressing about it. <laughs> no, don't, don't. <laughs> but if you're listening, honey, Las Vegas, be super. <laughs> Who said that? I remember asking, asking my dad, you know, when they got married, and uh, when my parents got married and I asked him, I was like, so, Dad, I mean, what did you contribute to the wedding? And he said, well, you know, your grandparents couldn't afford it. So I paid for everything, but they got to pick and choose everything. I just footed the bill. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, they didn't let you do anything that you wanted? He said, no, not really. I paid for everything. I showed up in a, you know. Nice suit. We got married. We had a party at the house, and uh, and that was that. And I was like, "And you didn't pick anything, no?" But I paid for everything. <laughs> we would, um, if we did El Paso, of course, we'd have to have both families. Mm-hmm. It would, uh, it would, man. I don't even want to start thinking about all the details yet. <laughs> Well, be a lot of know, work. this is something that I've done because, um, okay, so sister number two was married four times. And so I helped her with each one. So all of these details will be, will you know, they'll be gradual. Nothing's going to be done at all in one month. So don't worry about that and everything. And most of the time, the guy is kept in the loop. But. He doesn't really get to do much of anything, so don't worry. It's okay. You'll be okay. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Just gonna have to put my faith in it. But yeah, um, she said yes. We're engaged, and I guess I'm gonna be a married man once again. I know that there are gentlemen all across the world celebrating with the good news, knowing that I am no longer a uh, competition. <laughs> a <laughs> lot of lot of breaking hearts a lot of lot of breaking hearts a lot of breaking hearts you know it yep um, and but, some of them are guys so nothing not hey. that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> I'm flattered <laughs> yeah you would be <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah we got that going on so look forward to wedding news and all of that good fun stuff and you can bet your ass it's going to be some Mickey shit to be had by all. How um, fun will that be? Well, we've got a little bit of time left. Nobody's coming on right after us, so we can spill over a little bit. But do you guys want to hear the fucked up story of everything that's been happening to me since Halloween? Well, I'm literally raising my hand, and yes. Okay. I've I've kept everything on the DL because it was a developing story 
and I just I didn't know how big it was going to get if anything was going to uh end up on the national news, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Last thing I'd want to do is dox myself, you know. So I, I had to play it pretty pretty quiet. Anyway, I'm going to tell you the story of the most fucked up shit that happened in the HOA. And it happened right <laughs> next door to me. <laughs> so I've got this next door neighbor and I only have one next door neighbor because of the way my property's situated. So it's, it's okay. My other next door neighbor is actually behind me. Um, so, but the close next door neighbor in proximity, uh, they left to go out of town for some, uh, some training, I guess. And the, I, I had spoken with them before they had, had, had gone. So I knew that they were going to be leaving and it was supposed to be, I think through November, December, whatever. And then they would be coming back in January, like whatever, but I can't remember the timetables. So these, uh, younger kids started staying next door to me and I, I figured that she let maybe a cousin or a girlfriend or whoever house it for her. You know, that's pretty common stuff. And I just figured we were going to have some, some loud kids partying and, um, just having a good old time. I had, uh, been getting up since I quit drinking. I, I usually go to bed about, I'll, I'll be asleep probably before 10 o'clock, nine times out of 10. And then I'm usually awake in between 4.30 and 5.30 is when I'll start getting out of bed. So I noticed a couple times that uh, when I went outside to let the dog go take a, a leak, I would look over and these motherfuckers were up and I was like, yeah, cool, partiers. And I just, you know, thought it was funny, you know, looking back on all of the shenanigans that I had. I used to be the rowdiest house on the street. <laughs> Not anymore. I lost that title. So I had noticed that they would be up at, at 4.30, 5.30 in the morning quite frequently. And I was like, damn, these these guys really do party. Um, their trash started piling up. You know, it just started to get a little bit unpleasant. Uh, people were coming and going through the night, things like that. I it, it, All I did was just think that they were uh, partiers. So without a criminating myself too much here i uh was enjoying some of my uh, herbal libations and <laughs> i i do so in my guest bathroom in the house right and i i typically like to blow the byproduct of these these libations out the window as to not make the house smell like a cheech and chong movie herbally herbally and so I, uh, I'd, I'd gotten up and I was playing video games. I, that's what I do in the morning. I get up early as shit and I play video games because it's the only two hours of the day that really belong to me. Nobody's up yet. Um, work's not bothering me. Nothing. Nobody's bothering me. These, these are my two hours. So I like to video game. And then it just happened to be on a Sunday, I guess, Saturday or a Sunday. I can't remember. I got up and I was like, you know, it'd be fun. Awake and bake. That sounds great. And I was like, yeah, I'll drink some nice fucking coffee. I'll have my herbal supplements here. 
and I'll just go play some video games. Nice little chill Sunday. So I'm up there in the bathroom and doing my thing and, and blowing this uh, cloud out the window. And I look down through the bathroom window and it happens to have like a perfect straight angled shot into their kitchen. And I see these people sitting at a table smoking a glass pipe. And I thought, oh, my God, they're smoking crack oh, cocaine. I just thought that they were smoking crack rock, which is pretty common here, especially with young people. I thought, okay, they're going to the club. They're coming home. They're fucking, they're smoking rock, and they're just, they're partying like that. Okay, that's pretty fucking gross, but whatever. So things just start escalating and getting worse and worse. They're up all night. The house is dead all day long, but then this this beat up car starts showing up, and it they're parking it in front of my house in their house because you know we're next door to each other, but like with two feet in front of in on my side of the property, this guy would park the ass into the car in my driveway, and I'm starting to get fucking pissed off about it because not only did it happen once, it it kept happening and he kept doing it like he was doing it on purpose, and so I'm just waiting to confront this motherfucker. But every time he would see me, he would go hide. You know, I, I would never really get a chance. And so I had had enough. It appeared to me from my my surveillance on this house that this motherfucker was living inside of the car in front of our houses and doing stuff in and out of the garage <laughs> of the house next door to me. And everybody else was still coming and going. The the two young people were still there. They just seemed to have a little family that was growing. To include this now older gentleman living in a car in front of my fucking house in an HOA. So, by this point, I had just absolutely had it. And I went and had a little closed-door meeting with the property manager. And I told him, like, hey, man. I don't know what's going on next door to me. I kind of have a feeling it might be some squatters. You know, I didn't want to tell them that I, I saw them smoking fucking rock in their kitchen one morning while I was smoking, <laughs> you know, something else. <laughs> you know, that conversation's not going to go over well. And so I I just tell them, I'm like, hey, I, there's, I think a homeless person's living in front of his car parked on the street. And so he said, okay, we, we, we hire... Um, Uh, police officers here that are off duty. We have our own little security force and they're all off duty cops that, that moonlight for us. So he turned it over to them and these guys, I guess loved it because they were on that motherfucking house. Like you wouldn't believe. And so within hours of me reporting this car, like it was gone. And I thought, okay, maybe that spooked them. Maybe we're not going to have the homeless guy fucking camped out there anymore. And I'm still trying to figure out what's going on because their trash is just piling up and piling up and piling up. It stinks. It's getting terrible. I think that, you know, something at this point is going on beyond just like kids fucking partying and squatting, right? It seems like it's getting a little complicated. So I'm fucking watching these guys like a fucking hawk because the house is 10 feet away from my house. I don't want any of this stuff going on next door to me. It is just escalating and escalating. So after the car leaves, I I thought that was it. Um, About maybe two days later, uh, 
a different vehicle is parked in front of the houses same way though with like two feet of it hanging off into my driveway so it's kind of ambiguous of who the car is actually parked in front of you know you can't really tell i guess and so one day i get home from work and it's just a normal day i think it was thursday or some shit and this new vehicle had been there and i just kind of given up on it at that point so i had gotten off of work i'm relaxing i i go and enjoy some libations and i enjoy a lot of libations and uh, you know to the point where i'm feeling just really good i take a nice hot shower get out of the shower and then i realize that i left my gate open which means if i leave my gate open people can actually access my doorbell which is by design i can shut my gate and lock it nobody can ring my doorbell it's pretty brilliant so anyway my doorbell rings and i look out and I noticed that there's a fucking cop ringing my doorbell. And I was thinking, what what the fuck is a cop doing here at my house? And so I'm like, oh, I'm not going to fucking answer it. And then I end up looking out the front window. And I notice that my entire house is surrounded by cops. And they're all watching my house. And I was like, what the fuck did I do? Like, they, they can't be here. Nobody, did somebody, like, report that they smelt a funny skunk substance in the area or something? <laughs> like, this seems a little bit overkill to me at this point. They're banging on my fucking door. Uh, you know, I, I start watching. I'm waiting them out. They're all just standing out there. And they're it's not a normal cop unit either. They're not uniformed police. They're all in civilian clothes. They're all wearing badges and carrying radios. Like, it's some kind of fucking task force. So... I make enemies here and there in my line of work. I'm starting to wonder if somebody like accused me of something or set me up or, you know, when, when you fire people, they do some fucked up shit. And I've, I've been the, the brunt of, of, of many a disgruntled person before. So I'm just trying to think what on earth it could be. So at this point I'm in, and of course, you know, I'm just fucking, baked like a motherfucker watching these guys stand in front of my house it, it, it's the worst feeling ever so I, I go and get rid of all my shit right just to start mitigating charges at this point <laughs> i i got rid of all my herbal supplements and then i i, I called uh, lolo and, and told her don't come home honey <laughs> i think i think i might be going to jail tonight i don't know why i'll have to call you back on that later. And then, and then I told her where she could get some money to come uh, bail me out and, or get a lawyer if she needed to. And I, I had all of this set up. Uh, I put my wallet up. I, I put my keys up. I grabbed my driver's license out of my wallet, put it in my back pocket and decided to go turn myself in and uh, walk outside. So I figure, you know, if I do it now, chances are I'll probably bond out and be home and sleeping in my own bed uh, that night instead of sleeping you know, in county or whatever. Anyway, so finally, I go outside, and they immediately see me walking out the car, and they come up to me, and they're like, hey, how you doing, sir? And I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? What's going on? And they're like, do you know anything about the stolen car? And I stopped in my tracks. I was like, what the fuck? Are you serious? A stolen car? 
And then I, I signal one of the guys to come talk to me. I'm like, hey, it's the motherfuckers next door, man. And we got into a big, long uh, little convo about it. He's like, well, why didn't you call us and and uh, report it? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm just, I don't do that. I, I don't fucking rat on motherfuckers. I'll set them up and, and set them up for some failure. But, you know, I'll do it my way. But anyway, so they had a stolen car recovered in front of my house that these motherfuckers next door had been parking. So it just escalated the situation tremendously. A, I was just super excited that I wasn't going to jail and it wasn't about me. And then B, you know, I ended up having to flush all my herbal supplements there. So all kinds of fucked up shit still building up, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm watching these guys, and it's just getting worse. The trash is getting worse. Uh, cars are coming and going all night. People, a car will come pull up. Somebody from the house will go down. And and I just start trying to piece everything together because it's just not right. And so one night I I look into the house from one of my upstairs windows when they had all of their windows open. I noticed it at, at nighttime that they started to leave all of the windows open, and I thought, that's fucking weird. It's going to get down to 29 degrees tonight. Why are you leaving all these windows open? <laughs> that is freaky. And one day, it all came together, and I figured out what the fuck is going on. I looked into the house, and I saw them walking around where fucking bandanas around their faces because they're cooking methamphetamine next door to me. A fucking oh my God. meth lab. Oh my God. Holy shit. I was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I was beside myself. This was like the creepiest thing. Hey, just like the dangers of having a methamphetamine lab next door, 10 feet away from your bedroom where you sleep at night. And then all of these people coming and going, I, I it, they were, it, it was the most uncomfortable thing I've had sitting fucking next door to me, knowing that I couldn't do anything about it. I went out and bought a fucking 12 gauge shotgun, kept that right by my fucking bed I ended up installing cameras all around my fucking house. Like something like Larry Flint would have fucking had in his panic room. Watching all my fucking doors. And I'm stuck with a fucking meth lab next door to me. So at this time, I I start the neighborhood's first clandestine fucking intelligence service of me. And I went and had another meeting with the fucking uh, guy. It was like, man, you you just take my word for however you will, but I'm former military intelligence. This is what is going on in the house next door to me. You guys can do whatever you want to do. I'm letting you know because something needs to happen. This is a very uncomfortable situation. I was like, my, my girlfriend's uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. The smells, everything. And so... For the first time in my life, I've actually loved living in an HOA because of our security guards that are actually cops, but we hire them as private security guards because this is one gigantic private property. They're allowed to enforce our policies. So these motherfuckers harassed these guys nightly 
there was arrests made in front of the house of people showing up with paraphernalia and shit. They, they were never able to breach the house and go in because they didn't have probable cause, right? But they made these guys just miserable to where they couldn't get away with shit, and they ended up vacating in the middle of the night. I brought these motherfuckers down single-handedly by being basically being deep throat to the HOA. And um, the owner of the house, or not the owner, the tenant, is, is back now, and everything's back to normal. They're actually leaving, and I'm fucking ecstatic that <laughs> that is over with, and I can move on. I, I can't tell you how stressed out I have been dealing with that next door to me. I just... Dude, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I live in an, a nice little community. Very I've nice. Seen, I've seen pictures. This is a, y'all, it's gated. It's beautiful. It's very well kept. It's really nice. It's like blowing my mind. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny that the, the second, I, I just knew things were amiss. From from day one, and uh, Federalist JC in chat says he's picturing Gary Boosie in the Burbs. I, that, that that's what Lolo calls it, the the Burbs weekend. Because I took a week off of work, I had a little vacation, and I was just constantly looking out the fucking blinds and playing my cards the whole time. <laughs> I was like all three neighbors from the Burbs. It was like in one two on stakeout and everything. Yeah, fucking sitting in my bathtub, looking out my little bathroom window. But, you know, I I couldn't even get, like, the cool meth guys. I couldn't get, like, Jesse Pinkman doing cool meth shit next door. No, I had to get these guys, the Keystone fucking cops of fucking methamphetamine in meth labs. These guys were just absolutely stupid. The first time they got shaken down by the cops, they thought that if they just parked one house over, a.k.a. on the other side of my house, the cops wouldn't know. I've got video of two guys walking out of their car and then like they're just obviously looking over their shoulders like they're looking around physically looking around in an obvious way to make sure that they're not being watched and then one of the cops just rolls up on him it's hilarious (laughs) oh my god i i i cannot believe that this happened next door to me out of all places right next door to me I, I, I'm still stunned. And then, I mean, and then of course, how do you play that so it doesn't come off like you are the neighbor that's you know secretly ratting on him? Uh, that's hard, because I mean, how do you hide that? Yeah, I mean, because I mean, if somebody rats you out, the first person you're gonna look at is who's next to you, yeah. who's across oh, from the me? only who's white on the guy on the street. There we go. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I I lead a very boring life, and I'm very happy that my friends do not because I'm highly entertained. (laughs) Oh, Rex and Chad says he'd rat a rat a meth lab out next door and take the stand. You know, it. it, I, I have no problems with with ratting them out. The problem was is everybody knew where I lived. So, you know, I was very concerned about any kind of retaliation, especially 
if, you know, I, I was worried about the most that they would have been cartel connected. And if, if they were, if that was a cartel operation, you know, that, that could have been tremendously worse than it was. I think it was just a bunch of dipshits cooking. <laughs> I think, I think JC got it right. <laughs> you were the Gary Busey character. <laughs> you should see the shotgun that I bought. It is gnarly. Oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you props on that because it, it really is nice. That shotgun looks like the shotgun that does all the kinky, nasty shit that your nice, wholesome shotgun wouldn't. <laughs> yes, it's really. Uh, I mean, I, you sent me a picture, and I was like, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> So I, I spent my entire birthday week vacation looking out the blinds with my, my 12 gauge by me and installing cameras all over the house. <laughs> Went down a fine rabbit hole of paranoia. It was fantastic. Of course. <laughs> but uh, it's all, all seems to be over with. I'm very ecstatic and, uh, as soon as the new tenants move in, I'm going to tell them that I think people were cooking meth in there. So have fun. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad it's taken care of. Don't get me wrong. I, I do find it really interesting that they would choose that particular house to, to start their operations. I mean, well, I, I, I think it was it, just it, available it was, is what the deal was. I imagine some girl who was staying there and she just let all of this riffraff start coming over and they're like, hey, we can cook here. Yeah, we can cook here. It it was very, very stupidly done. There was no professionalism in it at all. Oh. Well, I'm glad that they're gone. I mean, I, personally speaking, and this is just me from a practical point of view, because I look at all of the mundane shit. This is, that's what drives me. All of the little mundane minutiae that most people skip over. If somebody, and if I were in that business and somebody asked me, Hey, you can use my house. And the house is in a, in a suburban setting like yours. I'd be like, yeah, no, this is not going to work for me. And this is why. And I would detail how, it would be under constant surveillance because neighbors look at other houses regardless. Oh yeah. They look, they, I mean, seriously. And always judging, always judging. Yes. Yes. Like, especially oh, if you have an Look HOA. at Johnson's lawn. Oh, it, HOA is oh just God. nothing but Karens. They, yes. they forced me to become a Karen. I mean, but in, in your defense, you're the good Karen because you were acting on for safety reasons. Like, yeah, absolutely. I literal life and death us. reasons. It, the, with as stupid as those motherfuckers were, they could have blown up that house and it would have taken my house out with it. Yeah. So, you know, that that's the kind of thing that I'd be like, like I said, if I were in that kind of business, you know, you're looking at, you know. They probably thought that they were I just hiding in plain sight like, and thought it was brilliant, but they stuck out like sore thumbs. Nothing that, they did was, was inconspicuous. Really, in that business, you really can't hide in plain sight yeah. unless there are no windows. <laughs> so I can see it happening in an abandoned boat. 
Yeah. I can see it happening in an abandoned trailer. How, how many industrial places are out there that nobody's going to give a shit what's going on? But you do that right in the middle of suburbia. And everybody fucking <laughs> With notices. With an HOA, you're asking oh, for trouble. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that was my big adventure of 2022. It's been a hell of a year. My Jeep is still in the shop. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah, we're going on six months. So <gasps> Lemon Law, baby. Lemon Law. It's been a it's been a year. Quit drinking, got promoted, got engaged, took down a meth lab. I've been a I've been a busy guy. Very. <laughs> so on that note, we're fifteen over. And uh <laughs> looks like we've got uh Jux is coming up tonight, I believe. Mm-hmm. At eleven PM. So please tune back in to those guys. Wordy and Rick always put on a pretty good show. They do so much work and with their uh, research and homework into the show. It's always worth it. So give them a listen. I'm going to go ahead and play us on out of here. I'm ready to uh, call it a night, Aggie. We went long. <laughs> yeah, we did. You had a lot to do. Lots yeah, to talk about to tonight. <laughs> lots to talk about. Well, I'm glad to be back. I love you. I had a good Christmas. I'm glad you did too. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us and listening at home. Thanks to everybody who listened to It's a Wonderful Life last weekend. Such a fun time. Aggie, where can we find you? You can find me at Aggie Weekend and at Aggie the Barkeep. Those are over on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Getter. You can find me Tuesday nights, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, doing the Cocktail Lounge with the affable and quaffable, wonderful brad slager and 8 30 p.m eastern friday nights doing he said she said with the lovable and quirky vicky and once a week you get to see me with the other guys doing toxic masculinity last wednesday of every month at 8 p.m eastern and how about you vicky well when i'm not getting engaged or taking down neighborhood meth labs you can find me every friday night here on (laughs) kellerandradio.com co-hosting he said she said with the wonderful aggie Rican. you can also find me on all of our uh, theatrical productions i uh produce and direct all of those uh, those are on various uh, dates throughout klrn radio we're up to three now we're gonna have a fourth before you know it but anyway once again thank you guys for listening and being a part of the family and and making this what it is it's really nice to have you you know, Don't uh, take anybody's word for it unless you check with me. Be nice to each other. It doesn't cost you anything. And keep your tits dry, America. We love you, baby. Good night. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.